All right, we're going to talk about Sunday School Miss uh, tonight, and uh, we're going to continue with that and look at one tonight that over half of Americans think is in the Bible. So over half of Americans think this is in the Bible, and it's one that my mom tried to make me think was in the Bible. And it's one that uh, some of you may have used sometime thinking it was either in the Bible or wanting whoever you were talking to to think it was in the Bible. And it is simply cleanliness is next to godliness. That is not in the Bible. No, it is not. So those of you that have said to your children, get in there and clean that room because you know cleanliness is next to godliness, sorry. Those of you that have had that said to you can now return to whoever said it and whatever form of I told you so you want to use. All right. We're just talking about words that are in the Bible or not in the Bible, Stacy. Yeah. Now, in, in my household growing up or in your household, it may have been cleanliness or else. It may have been cl- either clean or you may be seeing God real soon. You may be next to God soon. But cleanliness is next to godliness is not in the Bible. Now, the truth is that as much as we can trace it, it was probably a Hebrew proverb. And so it was probably around, but it's not in the Bible. Um, The first time that that I I did a little bit of research, and uh, the first time that I saw it kind of mentioned was in 1769, written down in a sermon by John Wesley, who wrote, Slovenliness, isn't that a good word? Slovenliness. Slovenliness Slovenliness is no part of religion. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. So that's where it probably comes from. When I I hear that, though, I, I now think about a story I heard where a pastor had a man come up to him and say, Pastor, I have got to divorce my wife. And he said, well, what's the reason for divorcing your wife? He said, well, Pastor, you know the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness, and my wife is a slob. And the pastor said, well, sir, I hate to tell you this, but that's not in the Bible. He said, well, I don't care. It should be. I'm still getting a divorce. So sometimes we may, things may not be in the Bible that they wanted to. Now, the Bible does talk a lot about cleanliness. So it's not a subject that's ignored. And we're going to kind of trace the progression of cleanliness in the Bible. Now, I know that sounds like the most exciting subject you have ever heard, right? We're going to trace the development of cleanliness in the Bible. So all of you get your excitement shakers out. And we're going to talk first about the most exciting book in all of Scripture, Leviticus, exactly. Here's what the Old Testament does. The Old Testament taught how to stay clean. That's a kind of an important thing of the Old Testament. If you've got your Bible, you can turn over to Leviticus or Numbers. Uh, um, we're going we're gonna to look at Numbers 19 or Leviticus 11. We'll be at both places, so you just choose. It's like choose your own adventure. You remember those? I had those books when I was a kid. You choose your own adventure. So either Numbers 19 or Leviticus 11. Um, the Old Testament, Leviticus and Numbers particularly, is filled with instructions from God about how to stay ceremonially clean. Now, what was the reason 
to stay ceremonial clean. Why did they want to do that? You could offer sacrifices. What happened if you were ceremonially unclean? You couldn't offer sacrifices. What else? Yeah, that you couldn't be around people. I mean, you had to kind of be in isolation. And so there was this real desire for the health of the community to stay clean. Okay? Um, to be unclean was to be defiled. So God gave them directions about certain foods, um, things that were clean and unclean. Uh, many of the rules that God gave them were for cleanliness, but they were also just for health. Okay? Um, for instance, God told them not to eat pork. Okay? I like pork. It's good. My dad can cook pork loin. That makes my mouth water to think about it. All right? So I like pork. So why was God against pork? God didn't like pork. Well, the truth is, pigs are they're dirty, right? Filthy. And they also are prone to bacteria and diseases, and you have to cook pork really well. Now, here's the thing. It's harder to tell when I, I like to cook meat. I like to grill. Mr. Robert, we've had these conversations about grilling. It's harder to tell just by looking when pork is done than when beef is done. And you have to remember, they didn't have internal digital thermometers. Right? And so you had to cook pork really well to get all that out. So God was just saying, we want you to stay away from pork. Okay? Um, another example is uh, the prohibition against touching dead bodies. Now, we think, well, there, why, why would anybody want to touch dead bodies? Well, there are people in our society that have to. There are those that are around them. When someone dies, you have to take care of that. And so if you touched a dead body, you were unclean. Well, the reason for that is, you know, today partially was because dead bodies are breeding grounds for infections and diseases. And so touching that, and if you just allow everybody to touch and move around, then before long things are going to spread pretty quickly. Um, it's interesting because I read some articles today about cleanliness and just those kind of things and uh, the Levitical law and what would have happened or what did happen in ancient civilizations when they didn't take precautions like God said, when they didn't stay clean. And the truth is, disease ran rampant. And they said the modern-day equivalent is a preschool or daycare. And all of us that have children that have been there said, Amen. Because kids, they like to put things in their mouth. If they have things coming out of their nose, there you go, Jimbo, I saw that. The hand goes straight up, and then it goes either on the leg or your friend or the table or whatever, and... You're just using everything. I mean, we, we, we've joked a little bit, but it's, I mean, we've had the stomach virus passed out of our family twice in a four-week period. And some of that came because we passed it to each other. But the initial came from the fact that kids just aren't that sanitary about things, you know. And so God gave them these instructions, but he also gave them some instructions that are kind of interesting to show how cleanliness is important that we may not catch if you've got it open to numbers 19 this is 17 through 19 and stick with me for a minute because i know the most invigorating thing is not reading out parts of numbers it says for the unclean person put some ashes from the burned purification offering into a jar pour fresh water over them 
And then a man who is ceremonially clean is to take some hyssop, dip it in the water, sprinkle the tent and all the furnishings and the people who were here. He must sprinkle anyone who has touched a human bone or a grave or someone who has been killed or someone who has died a natural death. The man who is clean is to sprinkle the unclean person on the third and seventh days, and on the seventh day he is to purify him. The person being cleansed must wash his clothes and bathe with water, and that evening he will be clean. So seven days is the, the thing. But there's this interesting thing about taking these ashes in a jar with water used over burnt wood. Okay. Now, I'm not a chemistry major, and that sounds strange. But according to some things online, when you mix animal fat that would have been left over, wood ashes and water, what you get is a very basic soap. And so then he was to take the hyssop, which was natural remedy kind of stuff, dip it in the soap-like creation and purify things. Leviticus reads like a sanitary manual, sometimes uncomfortably so. When it talks about regulations about women after childbirth or other parts that we read last year. There are several chapters that almost read like a dermatology textbook. Detailed instructions about what to happen in diagnosing and treating a skin disease. You know, in the last few years, there, you know, around sweeps month, there's all, every year there's some station that does a huge story on the dangers of mold in your house. And we spent all this money and time and energy figuring out how to get rid of mold. Do you know that there are over 100 verses in Leviticus about getting rid of mold and mildew? So God wanted them to be clean. There's another example in Leviticus 11.24 about not touching animal carcasses. Now, I know some of you say that is not, that has not crossed my mind. Man, I really hope I get to touch an animal carcass today. But in Leviticus 11.24, it says, You will make yourselves unclean by touching these. Whoever picks up one of these carcasses must wash his clothes. When one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever it will be unclean, is made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth. Put it in water. It will be unclean until evening. Then it will be clean. Because of all of that, the Jews were some of the most health-conscious and cleanest people of the ancient world. They became clean freaks. They became people that everything was about the rules and regulations and it made them different from other people. Now, here's the issue, though. They became more concerned about outward purity than what was going on in their hearts. You've got your Bibles. Turn over to Mark chapter 7. Through the generations, from, from generation to generation to generation to generation, what was once an important rule for keeping yourself clean then became a rule that had to be done or you would be spiritually marked to the point that eventually not doing those things made you completely okay and it became completely about external stuff. In Mark chapter 7, we have this story where Jesus and his disciples collide with the purity rules. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and said they were eating with unclean hands. Now, Pharisees and Jews did not eat unless they had ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they came from the marketplace, they didn't eat unless they washed. Uh, they observed other things. They washed the outsides of the cups, pitchers, and kettles. But 
What is not at stake here is whether or not you ought to wash your hands before you eat. Okay? This is not one of those passages that kids can say, See, Mom, Jesus didn't wash his hands. So that means I don't have to wash mine. Now, this is important for those of us that have boys. Either as children or grandchildren. Because boys are like magnets for dirt. I, pick, I mentioned I picked up Eli today. He has a cheeseburger. That's his. I'd already picked it up at Sonic. So when he got in the car, I handed it to him. He gets the big smile on his face. We're driving out of the thing. We get turned on. We're in Madison Creek. We get turned on to uh, Long Hollow. And I look in my rearview mirror to see if he's enjoying the burger. As a dad, you know, I, I sympathize with that passage where God gives gifts good. He wants to enjoy. And it's one of those moments I wanted to feel like a good dad. I gave my son. I want to see him enjoying the gift I have given him. And I look back there, and all I see is black. Under the fingernails, on the hands, and a half-eaten cheeseburger. No concern whatsoever for that. So he comes in here, and I tell him, you have got to wash your hands. Go wash them now. So he comes back, and apparently he had rubbed his face and head as he was washing his hands, because now he has black streaks all over. And I said, what were you doing? He goes, well, I played the play. He goes, Dad, my hands were much worse before you picked me up. And I'm thinking, how could they be much worse? And I said, well, what you? He goes, well, I washed them in the, in the water fountain. I was like, in the, what you did? <laughs> that just makes sense, right, I guess. <laughs> you don't want to, don't mess with the soap stuff. Just stick them in the water fountain. He probably put his hand, I won't tell the school that they need to sanitize. You may put it over the water, you know. It's like, you know, boys just have dirt. I heard about. One boy bragged to another boy, look, my hands are dirtier than yours. He said, that's just because you're a year older than I am, right? Well, this isn't Jesus saying, don't wash your hands before supper. Um, What is being said here is that the ceremony doesn't make you clean. You see, the Jews that come to this place where they said not cleanliness is next to godliness, they said cleanliness is is godliness. They had come to the point where they had said that being clean is being godly. They took it to the extreme that said these regulations make you holy. They mistook physical cleanliness for holiness. And so as the Bible progresses, what you get is cleanliness was important. It was important to be set apart. But secondly, that It's not about just external cleanliness. In Mark 7, 6, just a few verses um, after that, Jesus says to them, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. He says their teachings are just traditions. Now, traditions aren't bad, but when human traditions overtake God's Word, then we're guilty of putting too much emphasis on the traditions. In verse 13 of chapter 7, he goes on to say, Thus you nullify the Word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. In verse 14, he gets at the heart, he says, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. 
Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Now, now we've read that so many times. We just go, yeah, that's what Jesus meant, of course. But think about the radical nature. You can't put anything into your body that makes you unclean. What makes you unclean is what is already sitting at the depth of who you are. Jesus taught that the real problem we have is not with dirty hands, but it's with a dirty heart. In verse 21 he says, For from within, out of men's hearts, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. The problem with a phrase like cleanliness is next to godliness is not that being clean is, is, is not a good thing. I, I mean, you can talk to anybody that knows me well. I, I am not the tidiest person in the world. Okay? Um, Deborah gets to see my office on a regular basis. It would not say it is the tidiest office. And in fact, I cleaned it today, probably because I felt guilty because I was preaching on this tonight. Uh, and, and the fact that I couldn't find a resource I needed for tonight. It was buried under 13 or 14 books somewhere on my desk. And the thing that is always said around the office when I get my desk clean is, well, we'll just see how long that lasts. All right? And I have gone two or three weeks before. And it not be terrible. All right? So, but the problem with that phrase is not that being clean is bad. It's when you equate something superficial and external with meaning that you've somehow gained some kind of favor or proximity to God. I mean, the phrase cleanliness is next to godliness says that, well, if you can't be godly, at least be clean. Or if you're striving for godliness, cleanliness is a part of it. The New Testament teaching is, But the most important thing is not your outward purity, but what's happening on the inside. And the problem with all religion is that it makes you think that appearance and performance get you closer to God. The Jewish leaders thought they were closer to God than Jesus because they ceremonially washed their hands. It made them feel good about what they were doing. A religious ritual allows you to feel that way. I've heard stories of of people being in the Middle East and the noon prayer signals and the Middle Eastern men, they all bow, face Mecca, and a memorized prayer. makes them feel good about what they're doing, but it doesn't really help them to live at peace with themselves and others. I've heard of people being on a 747 over the Atlantic when a group of Orthodox Jewish men wearing all black crowd into the back of the plane so they could be nearer to Jerusalem. They tie their phylacteries on and bobbed up and down reading the Torah, but it doesn't necessarily make them love their neighbors anymore. And I've been in churches where people raise a cracker to their lips and drink some juice, and yet it doesn't make them more devoted to the Lord. One of the worst uh, religions on earth, one pastor has said, is or can be a Baptist church. It says you have people that, uh, thousands and thousands, probably millions of Baptists who at some point in their life got dunked and put on a church roll. And because of that, they think that they're 
clean before the Lord because of external actions they've taken. So as a result, you ask them, well, do you know the Lord? And their first response is, well, I've been a Baptist for 40 years. That's not really the question. Well, I remember when I was eight, I walked the Nile. That's not really the question. We even develop what we think makes people good Christians. He was a good Christian man. Well, what does that mean? That means he went to church and he gave his money and he didn't say bad words. We have to be careful that we don't equate outward signs with inward purity. False religion focuses on how you look outside. Is your hair the right length? Are you wearing the right clothes? Is your Bible large enough to let people think that you're really reading it? And the truth is, sometimes that stuff makes you feel better about yourself. You drive by on Sunday morning and you've spent an hour getting all the kids, the grandkids or whoever ready for church, and you're driving by somebody that's out on the front lawn mowing the yard, and you say, <laughs> look at that heathen. At least I'm going to church. God doesn't desire us to re- embrace religion, though. He wants us to embrace Him, have our heart clean. You see, the, the truth is, when it comes to cleanliness, God is most concerned about our inward stain. Even in the Old Testament times, God was trying to teach people. There's a big difference between outward purity and inward purity. The Jews kept lathering up, washing up, cleaning up, thinking they were presentable to God. But throughout the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Although you wash yourself and use an abundance of soap, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Sovereign Lord. God's desire is for us to be holy and pure. Soap is good for cleansing the outside of the body, but it doesn't get below the skin to the heart. In 1837, anybody remember 1837? I don't either, all right? There was a guy named James Gamble. He was a chemist. And he made an acquaintance of a candle maker named William. Anybody want to guess his last name? Proctor. William Proctor and James Gamble. And they started a little company in Cincinnati, Ohio, called Proctor and Gamble, to produce a better soap. I I, I know none of you said you remember 1837, but if you were there, the soaps were not nice. They were harsh. They smelled bad. They were coarse. They weren't good. They came up with a formula for a pure white soap. And for years, the brand was named White Soap. In 1870, a worker accidentally left the machine mixing the ingredients on too long. As a result, too much air got into the mixture. It was a time when you didn't waste ingredients, and so they poured them into the molds and they shipped them out anyways. Within just a few weeks, they started getting glowing letters back about their invention of a new floating soap. The extra time had made the soap lighter, and they had invented the white floating soap. William's son, Harley, was running the company. He didn't like the brand name White Soap, and so he was looking for a new one. When One Sunday in church, he heard his pastor read from Psalm 45.8 that says, From palaces of ivory, the music of strings makes you glad. And from that verse, he renamed his soap Ivory Soap. For marketing purposes, they decided to have an independent chemist and analyze the ingredients of Ivory Soap. The result was amazing. There were only 
impurities in the soap. So Harley Proctor proudly proclaimed ivory soap was 99.44% pure. He even copyrighted the phrase. There's only one problem with that phrase. 99.44% pure is not pure. Right? Pure is only 100%. Something cannot be 99.44% pure. Because that means there's some kind of mix in it. It's 99.44% almost pure. But that doesn't have the same ring in marketing circles. God's requirement is that we be pure. Holy. Not 99.44%. It's 100%. Can you imagine if Susan asked me, Lyle, have you been faithful to me? And I said, 95% of the time I am. Your reaction is a lot different than hers would be. Right? That's not the answer she wants. So the question is, how how's your inward stain going? Because the truth is, Scripture teaches us that we're all stained internally. And I don't believe God's blessed if our heart's 70% pure or 80% or 99.44. That's why God in Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like crimson, they shall be like wool. In Matthew 23, one of my favorite confrontations between Jesus and the Pharisees, partially because it convicts me every time I read it, he asks them why they continually clean the outside of the cup and they leave the inside dirty. We got a, a gallon of milk one time in the yellow container. Now, the yellow container means in West Tennessee it was Turner. In Middle Tennessee it's Purity. But it was Turner in West Tennessee. We got it. It was yellow container, which means all the vitamins are secure in there. I don't know if you knew, but vitamins escape the clear color milk jug, right? In our house, they don't escape much because we drink it way too fast for them to escape. But you get the yellow, okay? And the date on the outside had, you know, you always get the one that's got the longest date. Even though in our house, it's gone in four days. We get one that's got a date on it three weeks out or whatever. You know, the longest you can get. So this is when we were living in Ripley, and we got it. We brought it home, and I remember getting up one morning, and I had fixed some waffles. Now, don't get too excited. They were frozen, and I stuck them in the toaster. All right? But the waffles came out. I had put some butter on them and a little syrup, and I'd put it back in the microwave and melted that, and man. The only thing that was going to complete this meal was a tall glass of fresh milk. And I opened the milk, and the smell knocked me down. The date was good. There wasn't any indication on the outside that it was bad. But inside, it was sour. Here's the thing. What Jesus says to the Pharisees is, you're like that milk. You look good on the outside, but your heart is sour. And really, the thing for the American church, especially in the South, 
that's pretty scary is, on any particular Sunday, there are millions of people in this nation who are dressed up and look good and say the right things on the outside, and yet their heart has never been cleansed on the inside. And as a result, their lives are like that carton of milk or the glass that hadn't been washed. In the Old Testament, um, the understanding was that there were ways to stay clean, but when you weren't clean, there was a process to go through to wipe away your sin. And it always involved the shedding of blood. And what we have to realize, and we're going to talk about it in two kind of ways, is that the only way we can be cleansed is through Jesus. First of all, it's His blood that cleanses our sins. The Jews sacrificed thousands of bulls, goats, lambs. These rituals made them ceremonial clean. But Jesus is our sacrifice. Hebrews 9 says, The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Then Hebrews writer says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciousness from acts that lead to death? We are all sinners by nature and by choice. God has equipped each one of us with an early sin warning system. It's called our conscience. Now, we talked about the very first week. We can't let our conscience be our guide. But it does let us know there's something wrong inside. The only way that we're washed clean is through the blood of Christ. But we, like young boys, have a knack for dirtying ourselves after Jesus has cleaned us up. Now, I don't mean in any way that we have lost our salvation, but what I mean is we find ourselves back in situations that we needed to be washed from. His blood has covered and saved us from sins past, present, and future. But for the living out of life, we need to be washed again sometimes. And Scripture teaches us that the way that happens is through His Word. Ephesians 5.26 says that Jesus makes His church holy by cleansing her by the washing with water through the Word. It's kind of interesting. You have the blood and the water. And when you have Jesus on that cross, we're, we're not far away from Holy Week. When you have Jesus on the cross, it tells us in John that the soldiers punctured his heart or the side to see if he was dead. And when they did, what flowed out? The water and the blood. It's a beautiful picture of the cleansing power of forgiveness and the cleansing power of his word. There was a, a hymn, Rock of Ages. Most of you know Rock of Ages that captured kind of an essence of this when it said, Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. Sometimes we have to read God's Word and appropriate it in our lives to be washed again fresh to be able to live in the glory of what He's called us to do. You know, it's like um, Monday I mowed the yard for the first time this year. I didn't mow the grass because we don't have grass yet. We have weeds. But our yard seems to think that it could be a weed field, all right? So lots of little purple things on the ground, all right? So I mowed it. And I thought 
I was going to be able to mow it without weeding him. Until you mow it. And then you got to weed him. And when I weed eat it, I, I, I have... Um, I have two put together. I don't have modern mowing equipment, all right? I have, uh, anybody seen Forrest Gump? The snapper that he rides, that, that's what I've got, all right? Looks almost like it, all right? It's red, it's got the, you know, I do that, and does this the whole time, all right? My weed eater is two weed eaters put together. It's the engine off of one and the shaft and head off of another. And when it's oh, so maybe three by this time, and you put it together and it doesn't have a guard on it. So when I weed eat, I get stuff all over me. Okay, So I get through Monday and I've got it on my legs. I've got it on my arms. I've got it on my clothes. Now, can you imagine me walking in and saying to Susan, you know, she looks at me and says, man, wow, you are dirty. You need to go get in the shower. I took my shower on Sunday. I'm done for the week. What are you talking about? I had, I mean, I took two last month. That ain't going to work, is it? Now, on top of that, I have a little bit of allergies in the spring. And if I don't go wash that stuff off immediately, it's an unpleasant evening. The truth is, we dirty ourselves with stuff we do. Reading God's Word, confessing that back unto Him, not for new forgiveness, but to rid it again from our lives allows us to walk more closely with Him. And the thing that's amazing to me about all that is that God could have just given up and started again. I heard about a mother in the mountains of eastern Kentucky who had nine children. And one of them fell into a tar barrel. She was working hard to scrub him clean and said out loud, I declare I think it would have been easier to get rid of you just have another one than to clean you up. Aren't we glad God didn't decide it would be easier just to get rid of us and start another before cleaning us up? He says to us in that Isaiah, come on, I know you're messed up. But I'm going to clean you up and I'm going to make you right. If you're talking about dirt then cleanliness is not next to godliness. In fact, just a little thing I found interesting. There's some stuff, research coming out about homes and how we keep our homes and all that. We are the cleanest. The American society today is the cleanest society in the history of the world. And we still spend more time cleaning than anybody ever has. In fact, they said there are some things that Americans are infatuated with and cleanliness is one of them now we all know exceptions to that turn on A&E and watch hoarders sometime alright there are exceptions but for the most part we live in a very clean society almost to the point we were talking the other day in staff meeting you know all these reports are coming out now that all this antibacterial soap is making super germs because we're too clean giving them bacteria resistance So if you're talking about dirt, then cleanliness is not next to godliness. But if you're talking about sin, we know that we have to be clean to come to the Lord. In fact, Revelation says, Nothing unclean will ever in it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You can't even approach God if you're not clean. David said in Psalm 24.3, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Then he answered, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. 
So here's the question I have for you. Do you need a cleansing from the inside out? I'm not asking it. Maybe I need to. Perhaps you're here and you, you're one of those people that looks good on the outside. You've always looked good on the outside. You say the right things. You do the right things. You wear the right things. You go to the right things. You don't do the things you're not supposed to do. But you don't have a real relationship with the Lord. You've never accepted Him as your Savior. You don't have a time, a moment, when you remember giving your life completely to Him. And if that's the case, then that stain that you have is still there. And you need to ask for the forgiveness and salvation that comes only from Jesus. If you're here and you've done that, do you need to just be washed again for effectiveness and for living your life? Will you seek God when you seek Him with a heart that wants to be clean? And when you do, you'll discover Cleanliness is not next to godliness, but a clean heart is a pathway to understanding the Lord. Tonight was a little different because we didn't really deal with that phrase as much as what cleanliness kind of means in Scripture. But the truth is, if that stain is there and we're not continually confessing and coming before the Lord, then we're living our lives ineffectively for Him. And that has got to be a concern on all of our hearts.